You're listening to Amplify Arts Alternate Currents interview series. Alternate Currents open space for conversation, discussion, and action around national and international issues in the arts that have a profound impact at the local level. This interview series is just one part of the Alternate Currents blog, a dedicated online resource linking readers to topical articles, interviews, and critical writing that shine a spotlight on artist-led policy platforms, cross-sector partnerships, and artist-driven community change. Visit often and join the conversation at amplifyarts.org backslash alternate currents. So we're here tonight with Elagia McKezia. Elagia, thank you for sharing your time with us. Um, this evening, really appreciate it. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your work? Yes, for sure. Thank you for having me. Um, I am a multidisciplinary artist, um, herbalist in the making, and I grow food. Um, the work that I do, um, I am a co-founder of Hiatus Healing Collective with a friend, Kate Cahey, and we are a mutual aid project that gives out free kits to BIPOC folks and allies of BIPOC work. So our kits include things for like self-care, herbal remedies, emotional wellness, things like that. So do that. Um, do lots of things in, in, in between too. That's amazing. And just for a little bit of context, just to give folks a little bit of context, you and Kate both participated in an alternate currents panel discussion we hosted last fall. Mm-hmm. Um, the title of that was The Labor of Care, and it's up on the alternate currents blog. Um, I really encourage everybody to go back and um, read through the transcript of that discussion or watch the video because it was really um, a wonderful conversation. Sarah Rowe also participated, and Lily Snortland was our moderator. But during that discussion, this idea of charity versus solidarity started to kind of emerge and form in, in some of what you all were talking about with one another. And the idea that the nonprofit model or the 501c3 structure is kind of underpinned by charitable giving, giving that comes, giving that travels through various channels of wealth and power, um, sort of from the top down and then mutual aid as a counterbalance or a counterpoint to that. As an example of, of building solidarity, building community and building networks outside of those uh, kind of more traditional traditional structures of charitable giving. So I was wondering, picking up on that discussion a little bit, um, if you can maybe talk about from your perspective, the difference between charity and solidarity and whether or not one of the other one or the other tends to uphold white supremacist ideologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. When I was thinking about these questions, I feel like that was something that I never really like, I guess, registered with me, like the the difference between the two. So it was fun to like think of maybe what I could say about this. But to me, I feel like my perspective when I think of charity, I feel like it's always a word that I've tried to stray away from using, even if I do work at a nonprofit um or you know like in other countries and they don't really have like non-profit organizations they only call them charities and it just has this feel like this context behind it that just makes it feel like I don't know it just reminds me of like missionary work just things that I don't personally really <laughs> like um but to me the difference between charity and solidarity I feel like charity a lot of the times has I don't know, it has a lot of limitations to in ways that it can actually help or assist people to be able to help themselves. 
And I think solidarity kind of is a more of a foundation to give people the autonomy to decide what ways they need to be helped. And I do very much think so that charity upholds white supremacy because it usually is a lot of charity work, a lot of nonprofit work is um, funded by a lot of white organizations. But a lot of the work and the and the funding and the resources that people get to do these to do this work um, has a lot of limitations to it. So it might assist someone, but I feel like it doesn't really give them, let's say, the foundation to assist themselves. And I feel like that itself is also just a white supremacist thinking because it feel like it doesn't allow like underserved communities or communities of color to be able to make the decisions for themselves. Like, I feel like it just is, I don't know. I just feel like certain like foundations and certain like white funded money that people just assume that they know what's best for people of color, kind of like they can't, like I'm saying, like help themselves, which is just kind of racist to me like I feel like you know like people of color and all of the things that we have attributed to the earth like we are able and we are capable of being able to take care of ourselves and our community but due to the systems that we live in it is very much intended to be obstacles in our way to be able to do that you know what I mean like everything was intended to be that the way it is it's not just by accident that you know like there's things like redlining and food apartheid, all those different factors that go into it. So that's what I feel like always comes to mind with charity. And I think solidarity means just kind of at like giving resources or financial support to someone or to some organization who is working to help their community without any stipulations of that or limitations that they can just go in and do the work. I think that's what I feel like solidarity is. Actually, the year before we did hiatus, um, Kate and I, we did an herbal CSA together and it was really fun. And we had like some opportunities to give out a kit. I mean, to give out one of the CSAs for free to a BIPOC person. But just last year, especially just with all the racial tension happening and after James Scurlock was murdered, we just kind of felt in the space of like, we know we wanted to do more of this work, more like providing more herbal medicine and plant support to the community. But we just felt like in a space where we just did not want to, you know, we just did not want to charge for it. We were just like, money's at the table. We just want to be like a real support system. And so I think, I think it just felt at that time, just like innate to just give it out for free and just to be like a community funded thing. So all of the money that we get donated to hiatus, um, we give back out. And so unless we're commissioned for something, we don't pay ourselves. So it is just really com- all com- community funded and I feel like my decisioning behind that is just because like what I'm talking about with 5013Cs is that there is just so much just like limitations and then all these different types of things and it's really actually really hard to start a nonprofit. you know what I mean like you have to find a board and do all these things that I feel like the work needed to be done you know in the present moment and it just couldn't wait for all of those extra steps um and I also think just like really honestly looking at just being so focused and connected online last year like during the beginning of quarantine and stuff I just saw so many cool mutual aid projects from like in LA and different parts of the country where people were giving out kits or having classes or doing these types of things and I feel like that helped kind of set up the way I wanted to um to to build hiatus 
just having those examples of how people are just having these like mutual aid, like community supported organizations that don't necessarily have to be built in the, to the institutionalized system, because I do think a nonprofit is very much an institution. And sometimes people need help right away. You know what I mean? We can't all apply for grants. We can't all do certain things. So just to have support from the community to just give out the things without having to do the whole nonprofit thing I just felt right. It just felt like, yeah, it just felt kind of a sense of urgency. And then the only way to do it was just to do it, just to catapult into it. And so I feel like that was just kind of like, an innate reasoning it kind of wasn't really a choice it just happened even there was just like a bit instances in my life before kind of COVID hit about how I was thinking about like how can we really build equity like there's things that I want to do and I know my friend wants to do over here and but we don't have like the money to necessarily take from ourselves but um I was reading this book called Farming While Black by Leah Penniman and she talks about um this African, um, it's like an African, it's basically like an African, it's basically like, how do I explain this? It's, it's like a form of equity that they practice in Africa. It's called a susu, and it's like a group of women come together, and they, um, they put in a little bit of money each month, and then one month each, each one of the women, they get the money, so they, like, kind of rotate that. And so I just have been thinking about those ideas from even before, even before kind of like, you know, COVID made me start thinking about it. But I just think it's just not everybody has the means and the funds. And we all know that like systemic racism very much exists in a lot of ways. So it's like even if you did have the means or the funds, you could still maybe not get a loan from the bank or you could still maybe not get whatever help that you need for what's going on in your life. And so I think that like, they're so expansive and they help people in so much ways. And I think like that's one positive to like the power of the internet and social media seeing like all these campaigns for people to, you know, transition or people who can't pay their rent because even though we're in a pandemic, like they're still giving out eviction notices, things like that. And just to see, I feel like it just helps, you know, expand obviously financial stability, but then it also like, expands empathy and I guess the perspective of way the ways that you're seeing people during a like a capitalistic in a capitalistic time for instance like me seeing people like fundraise for all different types of things especially like to be vulnerable enough to like ask for money for rent and to get such a positive experience helps me be able to like be more empathetic and open and knowing that you know not everyone can like work certain jobs or even if they had a job it could still not you know, pay for what they need because the cost of living is so high. So I feel like it also expands like financial stability, like I'm saying, but also expands kind of like taking your blinders off to like your own privileges, your own, you know, financial comforts and allowing you to see that like other people are struggling and there's a community out there that can help support them in ways that they could maybe not be supported, you know, because you, you know, if you have to pay your medical bills, you know, like you could maybe get a credit card for it, but you maybe could not or you could maybe you could not try to get a bank loan for something like that. You know, but those are things that people are going through, like real life people are going through all the time because we live in such an unjust system in time. So I think that like mutual aid and just like grassroots organizations who are just kind of helping people get on their feet, even not in materialistic ways or not in money, not in ways of money. Like I've seen a lot of cool like grassroots organizations who just do work to help educate people about their cultural history. So I see like different ones who focus on like 
free education for indigenous children or even I've seen like free education for indigenous like non-binary children so kind of giving people like the space and support they need to like thrive and be themselves in such a hard time it's just really beautiful so I hope that made sense in some way do you think I mean you've worked in the nonprofit sector here in Omaha for a while is there uh, uh one mode of operating that you see more deeply rooted here I 100% think it is almost fully charity. I mean, I feel like I know a lot of nonprofits that do a lot of good work and even ones that I've been involved with that do a lot of good work, but it seems like 95% of them operate from a place of like, we can only, I don't know, it's kind of just like we can source a little bit of our resources to these communities, but then also we're kind of like in a way pimping out these communities to get more dollars to kind of fund the mission. But the mission doesn't really have, like, I feel like, like I'm saying, like a true foundation or a true end goal for people to be like autonomous beings um, for themselves and to be able to fully support themselves. Most of it is just kind of like a small assistance that kind of benefits just a goal for the so-called mission. So I feel like a lot of it is charity work. And also because, you know, Omaha has like all of these foundations, right, that fund most of our nonprofits. And all of the foundations have stipulations and limitations of way that you can, um, the ways that you can use money and even individual donors. Um, you know, Omaha, I would be, I would be just like not being real or transparent if I weren't to to say that Omaha is a very racist place to be. And so a lot of individual donors that are white have racist ideologies, which cause nonprofits to kind of have to be really limited in the work that they do and the way they support, let's say like queer or BIPOC people. So I think it is like, like mostly charity. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you see black, brown, indigenous and queer people conscripted into these white nonprofit spaces and then kind of met with the expectation to shape shift in order to fit into those spaces? Yes. OK, well, like a lot of my experience besides art has been just in like the urban ag space within like the nonprofit sector of Omaha. And I've been in that community for maybe like about three years now. And I feel like myself having to just try to fit in and mold into the spaces that I don't know necessarily like were created for me, whether that was intentionally or unintentionally. I think one thing that I have noticed to be difficult or to be like a strain personally as like a BIPOC person is that um, I find it hard to even advocate, I guess, for more representation in those ways. Um just for instance, like, you know, you just don't want to be like that brown or black person who's always talking about like brown and black people. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be unapologetic in that instance of always trying to like, you know, support and put more representation for my people. But at the same time, like, I don't want it gets exhausting if you feel like the space wasn't created for that. So I feel like that's something that I struggle with. And also, one thing that comes to mind is just like, I've had like other opportunities come up within, you know, like the urban ag community that I could reach out to maybe info to maybe help them, I guess, diversify, even though I hate that word, <laughs> I guess be more inclusive to like BIPOC or queer folks or whatever. But all the people that I have tried to put in these spaces and help them in these spaces, just all of the 
just being in a mostly white space has been kind of more detrimental than I guess it is progressive in that sense. I feel like even if it's not necessarily like spoken to shapeshift, I feel like it's an unspoken rule. You know what I mean? Like if I'm in a room full of my coworkers, like I probably won't play hip hop. You know what I mean? Like I'll probably play something that I feel like is more attuned to what they listen to. And maybe that's just like a personal projection, but I do think it's also valid just from, you know, my experiences as like a black woman in America. So, um, and I do feel like in certain rooms or certain spaces with that I've had to do for um, just through work and just through networking with other nonprofits that I have really seen like in ways that people don't necessarily like accept me or view me as like a person that they can talk to about this like if they can collaborate with on projects and then they would want to like you know they'd rather speak to like my white counterparts so dealing with things like that I feel like there's always work to be done but I can give props because I feel like especially just with COVID happening it just was such a eye-opener to so many um people and it just also just made you be more present in your community and what's happening here so just using using what you have to help others is the best thing or even helping build a foundation for whoever you can is just like the best way um yeah and giving more opportunities financial and not financial that's such a great place to end thank you Elijah, for spending some time with us we really appreciate you we really appreciate all the great work that you're doing and can't wait to see what's next. Elijah Mckizia is an Afro-Indigenous multidisciplinary artist based in Omaha, Nebraska. Elijah was a 2020 Inside Outside Fellow at the Union for Contemporary Art. Elijah also served as a studio assistant for Oakland-based artist Name Brown during an internship at the Bemis Center for Contemporary Arts. Her work has been featured in exhibitions at the Union for Contemporary Art, the Bemis Center, Kaneko, Tugboat Gallery, Mamo, The Bay, and in a group exhibition curated by Elaji at Amplify Arts titled Silk. She has created solo and collaborative public art projects for Benson First Friday, One Omaha, The City of Omaha, and The Study. Her work has also been published in Time and Space and the Hi-Fi Magazine. She has been featured in performances by African Culture Connection and TBD Dance Collective, including Language for a Living, a performance for Caroline Kent's exhibition, Disappearance of the World, Appearance of the World, at the Union for Contemporary Art.